0: Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features Shireen Griffith, a 2002 graduate from the US Naval Academy. In this episode, you'll hear about Shireen's struggles making the transition from a small town in California to academy life on the East Coast, what it was like to become the first female anchor woman at the academy, why she decided to end her career as a surface warfare officer after only three years of service, and how she ultimately found her way onto a new career path in the emerging cannabis industry. Shireen's story is the perfect example of the magic that can happen when you choose to be open-minded and willing to pivot when life seems out of alignment. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Shireen. Thank you for having me. Can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? Absolutely, I came from a small little town in Northern
1: California called Red Bluff, which is known for nothing more than just cows and a rodeo, that's all we got. Mm -hmm. And I am a 2002 Naval Academy grad.
0: Okay, I'm curious to see how you ended up at the Naval Academy, Um, but to start, can you give everyone one to two lines about who you are today?
1: Absolutely. So currently I'm the director of operations of a, um, a cannabis company in wine country. It's in Santa Rosa, California. It's called the galley, which is very nautical, which kind of helps out with the whole, I have a Navy background. And now we have the galley and it's a mermaid theme and it's all sorts of fun nautical um, cannabis stuff here. And we create, uh, products for other brands. So we create, um, chocolates and candies and topicals and tinctures and, flowers and pre-rolls and basically anything that anyone can come up with, the cookies also, um, we can we can produce it here to get it out on the California market, cannabis market. Hmm.
0: Okay, so this is fascinating. So we went from California to Annapolis, somewhere in between doing your commitment maybe, and then back to California, and you're doing stuff with cannabis. So I'm excited to hear how this all worked out. Cows <laughs> to cannabis. Um, okay, <laughs> but Let's go back to the beginning when you were deciding where to go to college, uh, what made you choose a service academy, and what made you specifically choose the United States Naval Academy? Awesome. So, you
1: know, I was on track to go to college. I, I, you know, was a top academic senior and all that fun stuff, but I really, really, a lot of my friends were, were joining, were enlisting in the military. And so I wanted to enlist, I wanted to join the military. And I knew that, that I wanted to serve the country in some way, shape or form. And I found a pamphlet somewhere in like the library for, for actually the Air Force Academy, which is originally the one that I wanted to go to. And, I, and I had a super big crush on Tom Cruise at the time. And I, and I really wanted to be in Top Gun, and then um, I started doing some more research, and I was like, well, I don't know if I really want to go to the Air Force Academy, and I ended up getting nominated for um, the Naval Academy instead, and I did a lot more research on Annapolis and said, you know what, this is definitely the best fit for me, and I actually had to take the SAT three times to, to get into the Naval Academy, and I'm okay with saying that now, although I was totally embarrassed at the time, but um, this many years later, I think it's okay to, to admit to stuff like that, but that's, that's
0: how I got there. <laughs> Interesting. Did you want to fly because of Tom Cruise? Like, was that the goal, Navy flight? I did want to fly, and even my
1: father and I started taking pilot lessons. And I ended up graduating and not finishing it. um While I was at the Naval Academy, my grades were not quite high enough, and my eyes sort of didn't pass the test back because I didn't really—they were just starting that LASIK thing back then—and so I ended up going surface warfare instead of instead of aviation. But we had lots of jets and and for the USS Wasp, so. sort of got my aviation fix a little bit, I guess, somewhere in there.
0: (laughs) Mm, Okay, but back up. So you were inspired to apply to an academy because there were a lot of people in your high school going, joining the military, just in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, in a town like that, you either stay there and get stuck there or somehow you get out. So, you know, a lot of people were, at that time... And again, this is the this is the early early night early to mid '90s. A lot of my circles were were joining the Navy and the Marine Corps, um, a couple on the Army, but but most of my really good friends at the time that's what they were doing. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, well, that sounds really cool. And and then and then uh, you know it came to be my turn, and I was like, you know what, I, I want a bigger goal. This is a much better school, and um, so I stopped applying for anything in the in the California because I was applying to like UC Davis and, and all these other different UCs and. Um, I stopped all that and just focused strictly on the Naval Academy and got in that
0: way. Hmm. So when you told your family and friends that you were applying to these academies, what was their response? Was this like out of left field for you personally? Like how did they handle that?
1: Um, My parents are, you know, neither one of them were, were in the military. I have a couple of other distant relatives that were in the military. So my mom was kind of like, you want to do what? But they're very supportive. I mean, at the end of the day, they didn't, they just, you know, want my happiness and my success in whatever, whatever definition of success that is, you know, they, they really were supportive the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. My
1: friends and my friends in high school—they were, you know, you know, high schoolers. I'd, because because Rebluff is so far away. I don't even think they understood what an academy was because there are no academies on the West Coast. So they, I don't think they really understood. They're just like, oh, you're going to a school on the back east. Ah, good for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just assumed it was like the Stanford on the East Coast, which is not exactly what it is.
0: <laughs> not quite. Not quite at all. Right. <laughs> a little bit different. Um. Okay. So, uh did you visit Annapolis before you went there?
1: I did not, and that probably was one of my gravest mistakes. <laughs> um I had I had not The furthest east that I had gone is I had visited DC on some trip before that. And I still think about that to this day. I was like, you know, I I wonder if I would have still done it had I had I visited, you know, I got there and I was running in humidity. I'm like, what is happening? I don't understand what humidity is. My lungs are on fire. Why is this happening? I probably still would have, but, but I, 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 look back and go, you know, probably should have visited any of the academies before, I, before I applied to
0: them. Mm, but yeah. yeah, but
1: at the same time, you know, it was expensive. I mean, we were 3000 miles away, so it, it, it kind of all worked out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting though. It always is uh, amazing to me when people go to an academy without really seeing um, them. So did you have a sense of, what you were getting yourself into, I had
1: the sense of all of my friends that were in boot camp told me all about their experience there, so I had that kind of going for me, and I had a sense of of the academics how how the academics would be rigorous, but i didn't have a sense of of just the immersive of the 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 time and how many things are thrown at you at the same time and and living with complete strangers from all over the country and sometimes the world um, That was all very new to little eighteen year old me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. But so you got in, there was a little bit of a struggle with the SATs, but otherwise things went relatively smoothly for the application process?
1: It did. It did. Okay.
0: Okay. And you switched, you shifted gears there from Air Force to Navy midway. Mm -hmm. Um but you honed it on the Naval Academy. You got in on the first shot. So tell me, so you get in and then what happened so tell me about the first day tell me about that first summer flying across the country did you go by yourself did your parents come with you what happened
1: they they shipped all of us from northern california on the same flight over so my parents said bye-bye to me on the san francisco airport and i think there was about 4 or 5 of us i can't remember now it's been kind of a long time um, but we got there the day before I day. So we, and then that, at that point in time, we weren't quite like midshipmen yet. And so I didn't really know what to do. I was new on the East coast and just kind of hung in there and and went through my boxes and everything, just waiting for I day to come. Um, Yeah. And then, and then I remember being in line and everything else that everyone goes through on, on I day, what I had done, which was a great thing was I had my hair cut before I uh (laughs) I got their Mm. own ID because I had this long really 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 long thick thick hair and so we I I bobbed it before I left which was great because they just looked at me and said "Ah, you've already done it and so I didn't get the traditional crazy haircut that some of the girls got back in the day Mm. mine 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 was kind of a mine wasn't quite as wild (laughs) Mm. as some of the other girls Mm. Um, but in true transparency, you know, I was a terrible mid, honestly, <laughs> like I, uh, I, I think, I think I was too young and too immature at the time to really soak in the true essence of, of the Academy, which is, which is sort of sad to say, but you know, looking back, I'm like, yeah, I probably wasn't, it probably would have, I probably would have been a much better candidate for NAPS looking back on it.
0: Mm. Yeah. What... So I definitely want to dive into some of those, some of more details of what you're saying and some of the lowlights of your time at the Academy, but I want to hear some of the high points, some of the things that were, you know, that you enjoyed about your time there and, and actually a little bit more too about your summer.
1: One of the things that that really killed me was I was supposed to be in Drum and Bugle Corps. I remember this very, very cleanly. So I got accepted into Drum and Bugle Corps and this is played summer. And for some reason, someone switched me over to like soccer or something like that. And I was like, why would I be in soccer? I've never played soccer in my life. I should be with the drummers over there. And it was like this big hoopla. And so my, all my dreams were shattered for the summer, but I ended up being in drumming for the full year, four years. So it wasn't really that bad of a deal. Mm. (laughs) So that was my first huge slap in the face disappointment of, of, you have no say in this, get over it. I'm like, oh,
0: well, all righty then. (laughs) Uh, So you're saying that for the summer... You had to be with the soccer team. And then once you got out of that, you went into the drum and bugle court, correct? Yeah. That's what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. So, but like for me, I, that like I'm getting anxious thinking about that because, like, <laughs> like, the summer, like, soccer is very different than drum and bugle court. I mean, that's a very different activity. Right, right. And, and especially
1: for someone who is a musician, you know that can be your outlet. Like the yeah. the ECA, the extracurricular, whatever you signed up for, you know during plebe summer is supposed to be that one little outlet. Yes, you have yeah. the detailers everywhere and yelling at you and all that fun stuff, but it's slightly the little out, outlet. So it was like a double whammy for me. I was like, okay, so I don't get music, and I have to play something I've never played before. Sweet, sign yeah. me up.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Like that seems crazy to me. <laughs> Like, that doesn't seem like an outlet at all. That seems like more. So I was a
1: very unhappy little plebe, but whatever. It's all good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, so now you go into the academic year and you, it sounds like the drum and bugle corps was a huge highlight. You finally got onto the right track. Um, was that where you found your people?
1: Yeah, all all the lifelong friends or a lot of the lifelong friends came came out of that circle. Yeah, it was a it was a really good time.
0: Mhm. Okay. Well, and I so- think
1: it's because we 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 traveled together, you know, and any it's like it's just like any other team, you know, you have the football team, they all travel together, they train together, they practice together. You know, you have that kind of camaraderie. So, so those those were my peeps, my my band geek peeps.
0: Mm, gotcha. <laughs> I say that
1: lovingly for who any anybody who's listening.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it it's- was me. It's really funny because at the Merchant Marine Academy, we have a whole company called Band Company. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. It's a whole company <laughs> dedicated to the, band, to the band. So anyway, I just, I think it's, you're, you were probably dispersed amongst companies, correct? In battalion? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we was, were. Yeah. But okay. Anyway, so, all right. So tell me more about some of these highlights at the Academy, some of the most memorable times that you have.
1: Like I said, I I didn't do all that hot academically, but, um, you know, some of the, some of the really funner highlights was always the football season. I mean, that, that kind of goes without saying, you know, because again, me little country mouse coming from this tiny little town, I loved going to all the other different colleges and seeing like, you know, big, big football games and, you know, the, the glamour that goes with it and the parades and, and all that fun stuff. I absolutely enjoyed all those. Um, anything traveling with DNB was a lot of fun and you know I, I, getting put on restriction was quite memorable that was that was also good times um, which were for the stupidest reason and it's one of those things where it's just like you know you're you're a young 20 high teen and you just do stupid things as as rigorous as as these you know as these like you know academies are people still do stupid stuff and we totally did and we had the mentality in, in this case we um, as an upper class we had uh we had some some plebes who were who were musically talented but in rock and roll band and they wanted to do a gig like in baltimore which was just outside the limits and of course plebes can't go and so we sort of did a whole they can't fry us all attempt and they throw they fried us all so it's like our ent- almost our entire company was on restriction <laughs> for just like this little outing that we decided to do on a- on a weekend which was dumb because we got caught um you know it's it's all that you know that, that funny little college stuff that's a that's a lot of fun um mm. i truly enjoyed you know the summer training when we got put you know, I went on the USS Essex, which I, which was the sister ship of the ship that I ended up on later on in life anyway, which is kind of, kind of fun and sort of serendipitous. Um, Yeah, Mm. all those experiences were really kind of the highlights for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, so so you, did you, it sounds like you identify as a musician. So you played music, you played an instrument in high school. Did you play a sport?
1: You know, no, the only sports I did were sort of individual sports like cross country or I did play volleyball actually way back in the day. Um, I did. Yeah. But most of my, my effort was in theater, drama and, and music. Yeah. In the band.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so academics, tell me more about that.
1: Yeah. Um, I played theater. I did. I did. I thought I was struggling, but I did. Okay. Um, I ended up I started off as an oceanography major and then and then about two years in they said you probably need to be a general science major because you're going to fail out and I said okay let's do that. Um, I I don't think that my high school my little high school in Red prepared me quite for what the academics in college and especially something like the naval academy was going to be because what i thought was a pristine essay because all my teachers before had been telling me your essays i was suddenly getting d's and c's on them and i was like what what's going on i thought i was a good writer and then i had a i had a major learning curve with um with switching from what i thought was really good work to what actual college professors were were expecting out of me um i did a lot of summer school just to make sure that you know to get make sure that my grades were in such that I could graduate on time. So, yeah, and I think it has to also has to do with I was so far away from my family, you know, and most of the I don't know what it is at the Merchant Marine Academy, but at the um Naval Academy, you're supposed to normally you'll get like a sponsor parent and, you know, they'll they kind of help you through and my first sponsor parent was not a good fit at all. I don't know how they picked this person, but they were, they, so I didn't really have that. I didn't even have that support. And then I was 3000 miles away from my family. So I just had all this again, very, very naive, like, you know, emotions going, you know, so, you know, that I didn't really know anybody there except for who I was making friends with. So all that compounded with, with trying to study was just, um, it was, it was, it was a lot for me that time. And I did struggle with it.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well it's okay. So tell me more about some of the lowlights at the academy then because academics is obviously it was a struggle, you know, that's what you're sharing here. Um it sounds like you were a little lonely too, um, being so far away from home. Yeah,
1: yeah, I was. Um had had some really, really good friends sort of kind of adopt me, but they weren't from there. They were from Atlanta. Um, yeah, the the low lights were were constantly being on um on uh like like not doing very well in PRTs either I didn't again because you had alluded to did you do any sports I said no not really so I'm not really the most physical person in comparison to other people who are absolute athletes and so I didn't do so hot on any of the PRTs either so between the academics and you know the the weight struggle thing it it just it, it kind of always was 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 a compounded (laughs) and it it was Mm. it it was a struggle for me but um when I was a when I was a firstie uh had another whammy happen my my brother was unfortunately killed in a motorcycle accident right before 9-11 and Mm. it was about that point where like I didn't even recognize myself anymore and so I actually sought out somebody for some psychiatric help. And it was, it was just one of the things where it helps so much, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of people struggle with, Oh, I can't do that. You know, that's going to, that, that looks bad on me, but, um, I'm so glad that I did. Cause it kind of flipped me around and got me over the edge to finish my first year. Cause it was going downhill pretty fast right after that. Um, mm.
0: oh, man. cause I,
1: cause I just disengaged on everything. I, cause I, cause actually when nine 11 happened, I wasn't at the Academy. I was preparing for a funeral on the West coast. So wow. it was it was it was kind of an interesting, you know, place in the world that I was in at the time.
0: Ooh, that is that sounds like so much. So what I'm hearing is that the academy overall was just a really big shock to the system right from the beginning. Yeah. Um coming from this small little town in California, everything from just being away from family to adjusting to uh, like just really rigorous academics compared to what you were used to. Um, maybe not being totally aware of how to prepare physically, just all these different things, and then you know you. Sh- it sounds like you were like chugging along through these through the years, and then you get to your first year, and I mean nine eleven September, so that's the beginning of your first year. Mm-hmm. Um, not only did nine eleven happen, but you lost your brother. Whew, that it's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot on top of each other. So, but you said you got help, um, and you kind of got over that yeah um did you feel like you had developed relationships at that point in the academy to to help you navigate that space did you feel supported
1: yeah by my first year you know we had the core you, you I had a core group of friends who you know at the time I guess texting wasn't even a thing because we had the big Nokia phones we don't have the smartphones like we have now but um you know, it was one of those just call me if you need anything, kind of a kind of people. There was there was a really good handful of people who were willing to support. And to be honest, I think some of the academic professors were like uh you know, when I came back off of leave from from the funeral, there was a couple that just said, you know, if you need anything, let me know, and gave me the extra time to be I was like, you know, I, I remember staring at a test going, I have no idea. And I kind of gave him a look and he's just like you know, take another hour, come back. And and he didn't have to do that, but he did, you know, so there was even some support from within the academy as, as well as, you know, my, my friends at the
0: academy for sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious because nine eleven alone would be a lot. The death of a family member, the death of your brother would have been just a lot, but com- compounding both of those and given everything you shared, after you went through your processing of that whole thing, you know, where did you land? Like, what, what was your mindset at that time finishing out your year? Finishing out the year, you know,
1: and, and again, in true transparency, I think at that point I was just going through the motions, get through graduation, get to whatever the next step is. (laughs) Like I was kind of in, I was just in survival mode at that point, I think emotionally. And, and, um, and so, you know, I, I, at that point, I knew I was going surface warfare. And so it was just like, okay, just get to the next step. What's, what's after graduation? Okay, you got to go to SWAS and then get to your ship and, and off you go. Um, it was sort of negative. And, and again, I really, really hate to, to paint that, that light, but I know that I'm probably not the only one who was a little bit bitter when you graduated. Um, but at that point, I think I was just going, I, I really was just truly really going through the motions, being like, okay, this is what life's throwing at me. Let's just handle it. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah now um did did like nine eleven impact you at all and your thought process about serving post graduation it did and that
1: I was really glad to be at the Naval Academy. I wasn't. I was very, very glad actually to be like, okay, this is obviously where I need to be. But it also I didn't have the I need to stay in for 20 years now because of this kind of a mm-hmm. flip of the switch. I think in that again probably was because I was processing a lot of other stuff at the time. Which um, yeah. is I I just kind of was in self-survival mode. It's yeah. kind of selfish, but it is. It is what
0: it is. No, it's it's real. Like that's what happens, you know. So I, I appreciate you sharing because it's that's exactly what to me that makes total sense. Um so uh at what point did you switch gears from like this aviation path mentally to being like, okay, surface warfare is a better fit?
1: I think it it, it probably was right in between uh, third class and second class year where it was kind of clear that I no longer was a top academic senior anymore. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. to not really put my expectations too high, that's about where that shift happened.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. And other lowlights. You said something about like your weight. Was that an issue while you were at the academy? Were they?
1: Yeah, it it yeah. really was, and actually, you know, is still to this day. Um, that's that's just something that I have a massive problem with.
0: Were they on you like for being within weight standards the whole time you were there, pretty much? Yeah. 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 That's uh, such a that's such a tough one. Yeah, I I get that. So tell me, as you approach graduation, um, what was that like for you? What was graduation like for you? And uh, what was what was the plan I know it was surface warfare but what was the plan
1: um just like everyone totally elated like probably one of the happiest moments that you know that it's finally over the four years is finally over um I didn't really want to go surface warfare you know I would have done anything besides it and I also didn't get west coast which I wanted you know of course I wanted to be close to my family and so I, I so I knew I was selecting something that I didn't want plus in a location that I didn't want so I was like woohoo I'm done but okay next step is next step let's go let's let's do what we can for the next steps um but I was I remember you know the whole family's out and everyone's really excited and it, it was one of the biggest highlights because it was just like you know I did actually survive the place even though I didn't survive it with flying colors or you know with <laughs> with as much pomp and circumstance as you know a more stellar midshipman would have but but I did it and I was really excited about that and I felt really accomplished because of that um and the other great thing about graduation is that really confused everybody except for people that knew was I got a standing ovation and Dick Cheney Vice President Dick Cheney gave me a gift because I was the first female anchor at the Naval Academy and the funny story is I had found they made me a plaque for that and I found that plaque about two months ago, I was going through a box of really old stuff, and I'm like, what is this thing? And I pulled it out. I was like, oh, wow. The Naval Academy gave me a plaque that says, first female anchor, yada, yada. And there was a little mm. write-up in the the Gazette or whatever. You know, at the time, I was super embarrassed, and, you know, and people can say what they will about it, but, I mean, I graduated on time, and that's okay with me. <laughs> you know, every, you know, just a, just that was my place in the rankings, that's all. And, and so, so I'm kind of okay with it now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. At the time it was hard for you though, but now, now you've come to terms with it.
1: Well, you know, what was really interesting is, you know, the tradition is you're supposed to give a dollar to the, the anchor. And so there was me and two other gentlemen that were sort of competing for it. And I distinctly remember throwing some tests so that I knew that I was going to get a certain score to keep my grade a certain grade to keep me as low as I was. I'm like, well, if you're going to be this far at the bottom, might as well go for it. Right. Mm. (laughs) And what I found out was um, one of my one of my company mates, he was the one that was collecting all the dollars, which I got in a big crown royal bag, which is hilarious in itself. But he said there was a significant group of, of of gentlemen that refused to put the dollar in because they're just like, now that shouldn't go to a girl.
0: Wow. Huh.
1: I know, I know. And yeah. we, I didn't really have those types of issues at the Academy. So it sort of slapped me at the very end of it. And I was like, really? Like, if anything, they should be giving more that it's finally a female. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: interesting, interesting. Well, I do like that you uh, finally made peace with that because- I mean, clearly it hasn't impacted your success and it is what it is. I mean, you got through the academy, right? Like not everybody does that. You were meant to be there, you know?
1: There was a point right before we signed our two for seven that I was significantly considering not. And I did have one upper class come up and say, he says, if you do leave, you're always going to say the what if if you had stayed he's like and for that alone i i kind of recommend you stay. and i'm so glad he told me that because i think about that moment of the what ifs and and i don't think at all about what if i had left but i guarantee you he's right if i had left i would be wondering what if i had stayed mm. that, that to me was profound
0: yeah yeah Whew. okay so you got through uh you got your dollar anchor woman bag recognition.
1: Got my um, crown royal bag. We were ready.
0: Crown Royal. And you want to know what I, mean? what I spent those dollars on?
1: For anyone who's in my classmate, it definitely went to a big back tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: okay, so surface warfare, East Coast. Tell me how that went for you. I was on the USS
1: Wasp and... It, again, was one of those things where I was sort of angry going into it, and this could have been a leftover of, you know, so far away from everyone that I love, and now I'm moving to a new place where I really don't know anybody, so we're starting over again. Um, But I had a genuinely amazing, amazing first boss in the Navy who, on one level, he was a walking, talking sexual harassment case waiting to happen. Like he just was so unconventional. It would always say things to, he liked to, he liked to be really funny or try to be very funny and occasionally it would turn into something very, very offensive, depending on who he was talking to. But he really, he took it upon himself to, he had a, you know, a whole group of junior officers that he would, you know, take out occasionally or try and take care of and nurture and mentor. And, and to this day, you know, I still think having him, as as with the first boss in the navy because he he was the first like mentor i had in the actual fleet and you know i saw how well he took care of his sailors um it was kind of kind of unconventional towards other officers but he definitely took really good care of his sailors and that sort of set the tone for later on in life when you know leading teams and in, in the civilian world and in manufacturing and stuff like that it it, it, was, it was very similar uh, it's a very similar concept so in manufacturing as it is in the in the military and so um that piece of it was good, but then he left like within six months, and then I got somebody who was not quite that same personality. And so struggled a little bit on my boat. I mean, we did a deployment, and um, we were the class that. Uh uh, they had overmanned junior officers in the surface warfare, and so at my three-year mark, they said, "Hey, we need to get rid of about 100, 150 of you guys. You know, do you want to just volunteer for, you know, no obligation, just you get out early?" And, and I was like, "Yep, see yep." <laughs> so that was sort of the end of the the naval career. So I ended up doing three years in the fleet, not five.
0: Hmm. Okay. And what was the plan when you decided to leave? Did you have a plan?
1: I did not. Mm -hmm. I absolutely did not. I went back West. Um, and yeah, no, no plan at the time. I thought about going back to school. Um, at the time I didn't really understand the VA benefits with, with going back to school. Um, and, and just took a couple of odd jobs, really odd jobs to just sort of off gas the whole military experience and kind of get back into what the civilian world is like.
0: Mm. And I'd imagine, you know, who you are you have to get back to who you are outside of that military structure and it sounds like you needed just a minute to detox from like just your time at the academy and your time in the navy um it just yeah that's a good
1: way of putting it and and i did um i ended up starting to do what what sort of got me rolling on on a much much better path as i started volunteering a lot with um uh, there's animal organizations of where i live there was a there was a sanctuary that had big cats and that's that's sort of where where the the spark and shireen really ignited again um you know because who doesn't like to play with you know or feed tigers and lions and stuff i mean it's, it's a lot of fun mm. but um the director there she says you know the cats respect you inherently because you walk around with authority and i was like hmm, wonder where that comes from <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it grew to be. grew It'd be kind of fun. So I got to got to get back to my roots of what I love, which is typically animals. That was all volunteer, which is totally fine. I and and I and I love doing it. I was doing uh, that's about where the food industry started. So I was working. I was working um, in, with food in in that area and volunteering every spare minute I have to uh, to this place that that had all these these wonderful exotic cats, and it was a it was a really good time and a lot of fun. You know, but it also was like kind of like that low-level job. So it started to to spring into, you know, probably shouldn't be a lab tech. You probably should be some sort of a supervisor. And I'm like, yeah,
0: I can do that. Let's do that.
1: (laughs) And then then that kind of grew the the food industry career for me.
0: Interesting. So was that hard for you to go from being a military officer to more of like a low-level job that, because, you know, you're exploring a new industry and you're kind of in this transition how, how did that feel for you emotionally?
1: That I was actually pretty fine with. It was a, it was a pretty, it was a pretty cool job. I was a, I was just a tech at a, at a dairy. We were, I was just testing cheese all day and it was like the best schedule had really cool, um, really cool coworkers, but it was very evident. This isn't the end of the line for me, (laughs) you know, like there's, there's other places are going to be happening what where I had the most emotional problems and and is is my emotional intelligence is a little bit or was a little bit rough coming out of the military so when I finally got supervisor type roles um you know I'd be called into HR constantly saying you know you're kind of too direct with people and I'm like really (laughs) I'm like but but I'm not that mean of a person but just the way that you know I would I would they said well they say you're kind of barking at them and I'm like oh Okay, well, huh, well, okay, we'll have to work on that. It's taken me a lot of years to, to work on, on, my, on my emotional intelligence to be like, okay, make sure, make sure you're thinking about what their feelings are before you say something and et cetera, et Because cetera, frankly, that's not something that ever came up in the Navy. Like you just said what you needed to say. And I was on the East Coast also. And I think there's a difference between the way that people converse with each other, East Coast to West Coast. Because like, like if I'm in New York, I feel like I'm not really out of place. But, you know, sometimes in California, it's a little bit different.
0: Yeah. Listen, I'm from New York. Yeah. You can't be, you can't be direct enough. We don't, we don't have time for that stuff.
1: (laughs) Exactly. But over here, I was like, okay, so here's what we're going to talk about and we want to make sure you're feeling good about it and, 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 and that took me a long time to to figure
0: out out here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but also to your point, East coast, West coast, I mean, aside in the military, it's like, get to the point, say what you mean, mean what you say and be done with it, you know? So, um, so I get that. I think that's really uh, interesting, like an interesting self awareness that you have there. Um, so, so that's been something you've had to work on over the years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, you leave the navy, you find yourself kind of doing some interesting little side jobs here and there. You're volunteering, playing with cats, kind of getting back to yourself. You find yourself in the food industry in a low level job, but then you get promoted to more supervisory positions, um, and this is where your real like leadership skills and who you are start to develop, right?
1: Absolutely. So I wound it up in in the quality control and compliance realm in food, and that's where things started clicking in my head. And I think it's because a, the military, b being a systems type of a person, you know, especially going through all the the schooling that we had at the Naval Academy. And even in the, in the Navy, you know, you just, you learn procedures and you follow procedures, you learn procedures, you write procedures, you follow procedures, you make procedures. And that's all the quality and compliance realm is around. And so I was like, wow, I could actually be really good at this. This is what I meant to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. that's where like the, the, the light kind of bulb burst in my head. And that's, you know, I just inherently am, am good at that. And people were recognizing like, like, well, you know, you went to the Naval Academy, you know, you're really good at this. You're, you know, you came out of the Navy, you, you, they They recognize they're like, "Oh, other veterans that we've hired are usually good at this as well. and um, that's that's where it all started started. My path was really going in that direction and and I'm finding out that and and you know I, w- I kind of went through the gauntlet at the Naval Academy of wow, you know, I'm just sort of going through the motions, not excelling at anything where in quality, I'm like, I'm really good at this. <laughs> like I can do this very, very well." And so that's where the confidence started to build up again as well, mm. which kind of helped out with the career.
0: Interesting. So it, it makes so much sense to me that as you're saying it, like why that would be such a good fit, like quality insurance and compliance and all that stuff, um, mm-hmm. safety standards, all that stuff. Um, were you working for a large company? Was that, was this a large corporation?
1: Yeah. But one of the first, one of the first jobs out in Northern California was with uh, what's with Smuckers, which everybody knows what Smuckers is. It's jams and jellies and, and peanut butters and just about any other food that, that because they actually own a lot of other companies um, are under their umbrella. And they had a very extensive quality control program. So that, that kind of got me in the mindset of, of, so I was taught really well from the beginning, which helps out a lot because of them.
0: Okay. So you go from these odd jobs to smuckers um, and that now you're in the food industry. Um, you really find your niche. Sounds like uh, now mm-hmm. did you stay with smuckers and move up the ladder? So to speak, or what happened there?
1: stayed with them and then um you know they had they had offered for me to go to the east coast and i declined that and instead a headhunter found me and offered for a little bit bump up in in instead of a supervisor as a manager but a job in wine country and i was like hmm i could live in wine country Mm. (laughs) and so that's what got me out to wine country and that was with uh, another fairly large company called uh, Crystal Geyser Water and um, didn't stay with them for very long because it it wasn't just a very good fit. And I pretty early on was looking for something else because, yes, it got me to wine country and the pay was great. But the just the, the culture fit was was not exactly um, something that I wanted to sustain. But I found a um, a wonderful job with a wonderful company out here in Sonoma County called La Tortilla Factory. And so it wasn't quite water and it wasn't juices. It was something totally different. It was baking. But they, again, had a really extensive quality control program. They really took care of their employees. They really had a thing for a family of employees. And what was great about them is how much they gave back to the community. And that opened a whole new just mindset for me of, you know, civil service and giving back to the community you know go go and do volunteer work for for these types of things and 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 learn about who your representatives are and and so on and so forth and it was just wonderful working for them um in in the quality control realm and just Mm. learning how to how to how to have a company that's just a really good company it was such a wonderful time there
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, like hearing, hearing how your whole story is unfolding, because you really, um, yeah, I can just, I can clearly see how you have emerged and evolved. And you're very self aware, like, you, you don't stay very long, if it's not a good fit, like you're not afraid to move on. And that's amazing, because it fast tracks your growth, when you're willing to pivot. When you know that there's a good not a good culture fit or it's just not quite the job that makes you feel confident or like that you're really good at it, like you're very humble about it and you're like ah, oh, pivot and you you use pivot you pivot pretty easily, which is it's kind of cool to see, so I am curious <laughs> how you pivoted out of that company because I'm assuming you did eventually
1: yeah, there was nothing nothing was going bad at La tea factory everything was rolling along great um but it's just one of those crazy things where where a headhunter got a hold of me and said, you know, there's this startup and that's a whole other avenue and, it's, and they want an operations manager. And I'm like, you
0: yeah, know,
1: I'm really good at quality. Quality touches everything like supply chain and or production. I mean, quality touches everything in the company. I'm like, well, it's like startup is risky, also exciting. Risky, also exciting, and I could be learning a lot because that—that's one of my big things. Is if you know, I I really want a continuation of learning and learning and learning, and um, there, you know, the 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 founder, he had just gotten out of Stanford Business School, and he had this brilliant idea for marinated goat cheese, and so I took the leap of faith with him. It was a little, it was definitely a bump up as far as what the um you know, what the the job title and the position and everything were, because, you know, go from, you know, like a quality manager to an operations manager. So it's a much bigger scope. And startups are almost an MBA in themselves, because especially when you're there as early on, because I think I was like higher three and it was there for the first jar that was made and we had somebody else making it up in Oregon. So I was driving up to Oregon just about once a month to watch all the production runs, make sure everything was done and about a year after that, the uh, the owner up there said, yeah, we're not going to make it for you anymore. So that turned into, we're going to build a facility. So I just, I was learning so much so fast and just enjoying the, the absolute, uh, enjoying everything about it. It was just so much fun, super hard work. And, you know, at that point in time, I was a mother. So my child was very young at the time. And she basically didn't see me for like two years because it was, I was either in Oregon or, you know, or, you know, at the plant very very late just making sure that everything was getting done and uh it was it was an absolute blast and it was there that that i started my mba program and um because you know he went to stanford business school and i was like you know i kind of want to do my mba as well And he was like well okay i'll sign off on it and i was like okay because at that point the plant was running it was running pretty well it, it, it was you know we did it we, we launched the facility <laughs> so you know i was ready for
0: my next learning
1: basically and i think that's what drives me the most is am i learning am i learning am i learning
0: yeah, startups are no joke. I mean, they are <laughs> They're not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no, no, they are very involved. But yeah, you can't pick a better opportunity if you want to get your hands in a lot of different aspects of building a company and and all of that stuff. Um so, but that's interesting. So here you are. Now you have like a way bigger title, a way bigger role. Startups you're very busy. I know this. Um and you have uh a little one at home um and you're getting your MBA so um at this point you know was the naval academy and your time in the navy like did it feel like really far away like very distant in your past at this point
1: it just felt like it it made it so much easier for me than for other people because you know I'm thinking about the other people that were in my MBA program and some of them severely struggled with 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 the program and and it kind of was a cakewalk for me, honestly. <laughs> I was like, it, it wasn't really academically challenging. And, you know, in my mindset, you know, maybe it was from the Naval Academy, you know, you have an assignment, get it in on time, probably want to do it an hour ahead just in case the internet goes down. How hard is that? And every, and not only everyone, but a lot of people really struggled with those types of things. And I just didn't seem to have that pressure. I, it, it was just easy. It was a really easy program for me to get through. Um, mm-hmm. And so I attribute that to possibly just having maybe a harder, <laughs> a harder regime ingrained in me. So I was, I was just prepped for it. I think, I don't know.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, because it's not just the MBA program. I mean, that the Naval I Academy. I still went to work. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly though. At the Naval Academy, you had to balance mm-hmm. all of these things. So it sounds like, yeah, I mean, not a lot of people understand how much you're balancing when you're going through an academy they really do right. so um so it sounds like yeah that really kicked in um that whole get it done you know being able to time manage your time properly to have a family and you know work full time and get your MBA uh, it's pretty awesome i definitely think you learned some things at the naval academy to be absolutely
1: you know, when you take an MBA program or an executive MBA program, which is what I was in people, you know, you're, you don't usually do programs like that because you want to stay where you're at. I mean, that's not, it's usually because you want, you know, to advance your career or or something along or launch your own business or something along those lines. And so, you know, we had lots of touchy feely communication talks of, you know, what do you want to do with your life and all that fun stuff. And that's where the idea of cannabis came into play.
0: Hmm. Okay. So tell me more about that. So at this point you're in this startup and now you're hearing things about cannabis in the air.
1: Yeah. Cause in 2018, they had just switched California over to recreational. So it was a very hot new market here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, we were just in some meetings and somebody had asked me, would you switch? And prior to the MBA program, I would have said no, hard stop, no. You know, the cannabis is a, it's a drug. No, I'm 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 a veteran. There's no way I can I can think about that. You know, it's as my mother likes to say, it's it's just a bunch of stoners, which is not the case. But um, uh, you know, but I thought about it from a but in the NBA program, you know, we we also explored looking at things from different angles. I was like, this is a nascent industry. The first company in cannabis that I worked for, Cannacraft, because they were looking for some some leadership. Because one thing that cannabis does not have, or it's getting better at, but it didn't definitely didn't have at the time, was there's not a lot of structure in it. And they were looking for that kind of talent and structure. So they were seeking out, you know, veterans or or you know people with MBAs or something to to kind of hone in and make um, this wild wild west industry a little bit more legitimate and more <laughs> business like.
0: Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I definitely want to hear more about that because uh, I know like when you're in the military, you, you're definitely, you have this perception, most people, I shouldn't say everybody. The idea is that cannabis is not, you know, something that you shouldn't even touch or look at or think about, right? Like it's a drug, right. it's dangerous. It's, will do bad things to you or whatever. It has all these bad side effects and it's illegal. And, um, So that must've been such a mental leap to Mm -hmm. be able to pivot and switch gears. Um, But it sounds like you did. So you were in this startup and you got an opportunity to, what were you doing when you, when you changed companies at this point?
1: So I was, yeah, I was, uh, I was doing operations for, for the startup and went into, you know, it's, it's, it's not a startup company. I went into a very much larger, much grander scale executive role in cannabis um and the particular company that we were at is called Cannacraft. They have their hands in just about everything. So kind of like the startup is an MBA in a, in and of itself, this particular company was like a crash course in all things cannabis. They had their hands in and all sorts of processing and how to process the, uh, the biomass, like the, the, the flower itself to how do you make edibles to how do you make vapes to how do you distribute it all? How do you send the supply chain from top to bottom? They had their hands and everything. So I was able to, again, get a massive crash course in, in all things cannabis in the California market and which was again, learning a lot and just having a lot of stuff thrown at me at the same time, which is, mm-hmm. which, Attributes back to to you know being able to handle you know kind of a workload that's that's beyond you know it just it's just sort of what I do I think it's just I don't know any I don't know any other way I don't think anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: How did you make that mental shift though that it was okay, that it was okay to explore this industry that was kind of taboo for so long?
1: So it came to I I follow I'll follow leadership and. About six months prior to this opportunity coming along, the individual who was the dean of the business school at Sonoma State, which is where I was at, announced, and he's Mr. Wine, he's Mr. Academic, he's very clean cut, he suddenly announced that he was going to be CEO of this company, Canacraft. And so that was a piece of it. I was like, okay, I know him. He's a good dude. I like him a lot. And he's a great leader and he's a great communicator. He's somebody who I could totally work for. And that was part of it. So that, that was a piece of the, of the puzzle of breaking the stigma for me. And, you know, the other piece was, was again, just the excitement of, wow, it's nascent industry. This, I was like, if even if this totally goes belly up, the experience I'm going to get out of this is going to be amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. But did, so, it, did it feel strange? Like, I mean, at this point, I don't know who's around you in your personal life, but like, I just imagine a scenario where there's like an old friend or a family member or a Naval Academy graduate. There's like, oh, hey, what are you doing? And you're like, you know, they're potentially still an officer in the military or whatever they're doing. And you're like, Oh, I work in the cannabis industry. And it's like,
1: my mother still hates it. She's well, she hates it, but, but she also will say things like, you know, you shouldn't have any of that stuff around this house if I come visit her, but that paint cream you bought by, can you bring some of that up? And I'm like, okay, mom. Okay. I get, I get where we're going at. You hate the word cannabis, but you like the benefits. No problem. Okay. I gotcha. Mm. But when I was going back to the Academy, you know, for, um, like board member events. Uh, Cause I, again, I'm a great alumni. <laughs> when I go, when I go back there annually, when I first was in the cannabis industry, I was very tight lipped to who I told what I did or who I gave my business card to um, the very first year. That was, that was 2018, I believe. And, but last year in 2019, as more and more states were coming online, you know, we were, you know, we we're at a social function and I got a lot more people who were curious more so than anything. I did get two people who said, oh, just so we need another legalized drug. And they just kind of gave me the roll of the eyes. And how could you do that? How could you be a Naval Academy grad that could do that sort of a look on their face and very what I was 10 years ago. Honestly, um, but most people, for lack of better terms, were like, "Well, how is that?" You know, and and you know, how is it being in the cannabis industry? And I was like, "Well, it's weird. You get paid in cash." And they go, "What?" And I said, "Well, you can't bank." And they go, "What?" And I'm like, "Okay, you know, you get a you get an envelope full of cash every two weeks. That's that's how it works." And they're like, "Huh, that's interesting." I'm like, "Yeah, well, we're we're getting there. We'll we'll have banking soon enough." <laughs> but they were more interested in and then a lot and then some people, the older grads, I should say, say, you know um my one 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 older grad's wife she was so funny she came up to me and she says i have a granddaughter and she moved to california and i think she's doing something with plants and i said okay <laughs> like <laughs> which means she probably came out to be doing trimming or she works at one of the numerous california cannabis companies and i was like she's gonna be okay and she says you're sure i'm like she's gonna be fine i promise i promise you that <laughs> um yeah but a lot of people are curious and I like to call them the can curious, you know, a lot of people are, you know, they hear the buzz. They, they know they should be not liking it, but there's a lot of people who are, you know, but they hear the buzz of maybe, maybe I shouldn't not like it. And then you know they're curious you know like wh- what's the difference between thc and cbd you know what what is all this stuff and they're, they're a lot a lot more people who are genuinely asking the questions more so and i'm seeing that and again in the last about two years more so than people just being like oh i can't believe you're doing that you know you know what i mean yeah.
0: yeah well i i am interested to hear if like the people specifically in the military you know if if that's becoming a market for you and if they're more interested in learning about it at the very least, like because of PTSD and chronic injuries and stress and sleep. And is that something you're noticing that, you know, that uh, potentially there could be a direct tie to the population that you've come from?
1: There's two, actually there's two types of people. Some people are asking for the medical benefits and they're really just curious about it. And especially in the veteran realm, you know, because some veterans and, you know, it's typically not grads, but, you know, some veterans take a really long, hard road when they, you know, they are either, at least in this area, there, there's a large population of veterans who are either homeless or, you know, they, they have such PTSD that they can't find jobs and, and these things. And so we take, at, at least in our circles, you know, we, we we have, you know, programs where we can get them some products so that they can really handle the stressors the anxiety the ptsd and kind of make it so that their lives can have quality again and and that's those those are the ones that i'm fighting for the most that that you know who who's on opioids okay we can help with that you know we we can totally help get you off of opioids just just give us an in in a nice healthy way um i mean that's that's what we can that's that's what drives me more so than anything because i was in the food industry I mean, everybody eats and that's fine. And so you're doing something good for, for people on the planet, but it's different in cannabis. Like it's, it's a much more profound difference in, in our, in the purpose and has sparked a light to me as far as purpose goes, because this is, we're really improving people's quality of life. Mm. And, and it just is something to get so passionate and get behind that. I I absolutely love it.
0: Mm. Well, you're out of that first company, that first cannabis company and you're in your own company now, right? yeah i'm not the
1: founder um i'm the director of ops and again higher too so it's another startup yeah <laughs> because mm-hmm. i just can't can't seem to get away from those they are a little addicting sometimes um but it it's actually a food facility more so than anything else so it's like a culmination of my entire background plus adding on the cannabis on top of it the is actually the cannabis industry on top of it um so it was just a, a total fit, and it helps that it has a nautical theme. It's called the Galley, and it's got a mermaid for the for the logo, and we have anchors and all sorts of nautical stuff all over the place. Um, so it just kind of feels like home.
0: <laughs> well, so and what's the what's the what's the plan? What's next for you in this new company?
1: I mean, the cannabis industry is very complex, and especially with the laws and the regs and the and the regulations and the laws change so often and are so much more rigorous than, than any other industries such as like food that it makes it really hard to do business. I mean, so the plan is to continue with the license and, and making awesome products. Uh, we've made so far, we've made hot sauces, bath bombs, tinctures, topicals, uh we've made a ton of chocolate and candies and and cookies and we're making all sorts of fun stuff in here
0: (laughs) sounds like it does sound exciting you used that word before exciting because it's like an emerging market and there's all these like laws you have to figure out and also just the process of figuring out the product and how it benefits people getting the word out there i mean it does it sounds like an exciting industry it sounds like you found your niche
1: yeah, and my next my next next big initiative is to bring quality back into it. Because what what I found in cannabis was, on unlike food, um, in cannabis, they real at least at least back in twenty nineteen and twenty eighteen, uh, they they want compliant stuff. So all the cannabis on the market was compliant, but it didn't necessarily have any quality checks. So yes, it's legal to be on the market, but it may have the entire, you know, the entire uh, label might have misspellings in it or might be the wrong weight or something along those lines, like quality checks, the quality control really doesn't exist because, I mean, it's, it's kind of expensive to do quality control. You have to invest in it for, for it to get up and running. And, you know, you have to invest in the people or invest in equipment to do these checks. And in, in cannabis, everyone was just looking for, let's just get it on the market to sell it as much as quickly as possible. Mm. Um, so my next big initiative is to get quality into into the cannabis like ethos because it's it's compliant, but it, okay, let's go the next step, you know. And I always go back to the example of you know I it, I want to make sure that if we ever make a brownie, so to speak, let's make sure that the person who has cancer who's using the brownie doesn't get salmonel at the same time. Like that's where the quality checks come into play, and that's that's where you know my next big kind of initiative is going uh, throughout this industry.
0: Yeah and it sounds like you're the perfect person to do it with your background, so oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're like meant for it. So that's pretty awesome. Okay, so so now I have to know. Um, if you had to sum up your time at the Naval Academy in one word, given everything you've just shared, what would it be?
1: You know what it's humbling. It really is. That's my word. And I say that because, you know, it's humbling that somehow, some way, someone chose me to go there. And I went there and I graduated from there. And I'm part of this alumni network. And I just know of, you know, so many other amazing alumni that have come through there. And it's humbling to, to say, yeah, I went there with them. You know, it just, it it, it boggles my mind. Um, you know, like this Memorial Day, I actually took my daughter to Admiral Nimitz's gravesite because it's here in San Francisco. And I just felt so humbled. I was like, you are the reason we won World War II, arguably, in some cases, at least in the Pacific Theater. And and you went to the Naval Academy too. Wow. That's pretty humbling to me. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you're making it pretty clear, but how do you currently feel about your decision to go to, to the Naval Academy?
1: I am so glad that I did. I I really am. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm thankful. Um, I'm so glad that I did. A small piece of me feels a little bit sad because I kind of feel like I was a wasted billet, you know, I wasn't the officer that stayed in for 20 years. So uh, there's that small piece is a little bit regretful because I I think, you know, the Navy, the Navy should have gotten more out of me. And so that I feel a little bit regretful for, Um, but other than that, I just, I'm I'm just so thankful for, for everything. Cause it was a really unique opportunity. It was a really great opportunity and it really is built, you know, and built me is built who I am today.
0: Yeah. It sounds like it's set a really solid foundation for you to like grow and figure out who you are and send you on a different trajectory. It gave you a lot of skills that you're using to this day. And it also sounds like, uh, you know, you might not be done with your interactions with the military and with what you're working on now. So who knows, maybe you'll give back more in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love helping out the Naval Academy.
0: (laughs) It's good times now. Yeah, but (laughs) even just the military, right? Even the Navy with like what you're talking about with compliance and the laws evolving. I mean, who knows where we'll be? I mean, imagine a scenario where cbd is being used in the military in some way i don't know i
1: mean imagine a scenario where cbd is used instead of motrin for the love of god if i had any more motrin in my life (laughs) which i know is killing my insides you know and instead for inflammation you know take a little bit of cbd or cbg or or some sort of a tincture just to just to keep the body going Yeah, absolutely and i think i honestly think that we'll get there uh obviously they're never going to go down the thc route but I mean, the military is well known for people who, you know, drink and are total alcoholics. Who's to say there couldn't be some sort of regime to, to help anxiety, but in a more healthy way. We can do that. We can yeah. get there. It's just going to take a long path to get there.
0: Yeah. But you're in there. You're in there. You're in the, you're in the weeds with a big voice. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the, the weeds. to see what you did there. No, see that. See that. Actually, I <laughs> didn't do that on purpose, but <laughs> thanks for making me look like <laughs> I did. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, before we go, do you have any parting words for listeners, perhaps a key message to your fellow Service Academy sisters?
1: Absolutely. You know, if if you're curious about, about cannabis or if you're curious about anxiety or... If friends in your family are are suffering any way, shape, or form, and you have a little bit of an open mind, you know, if if you're a naysayer, be a little bit open-minded and maybe just try it. It's not gonna hurt you. Well, if you're not in the military, of course. But um, information is out there. Do do some research. Talk to other people, and just just be just be a little open-minded. Even if you're just a little kind of curious.
0: Yeah, but it sounds like just looking at your life and listening to your story that this advice of being open-minded, it, it honestly is how you've lived your life and your whole career. So that's with all the pivots are about. So I think that's great advice, just in general. This idea of like you know, because that's what took you down the path of even attempting to get into this industry. So yeah. I love it. I think it's
1: yeah. Don't don't be afraid of failure,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: or you know, don't be afraid of the wild unknown because. It's going to be like what, like what I said about cannabis, it's even if this thing totally fails, it's still a win. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Just, just yeah. because of
1: the make of it. And, um, yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it.
0: Awesome. And finally, what is one random fun fact about you? Although we've, we've learned many in this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else you can share?
1: I have wrestled sea lions because I volunteered at the Marine Mammal Center. So we rescued them, hence the wrestling, but we also got back, got them back to the ocean. We released Amazing. them back into the wild. That's the best part.
0: Amazing. I love it. So before we go, can you give listeners uh, where they can contact you?
1: Yep, absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I have a really funky first name. So if you can just spell my name out and, and Griffith on, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. And contact me anytime. Uh, my company right now is at the galley and you can get information about cannabis that way. So it's thegalleysr.com is the website there. And, and reach out to me anytime. I'll be more than happy to, to talk cannabis all day, every day.
0: Awesome, Shireen. So that's it. I appreciate you uh, sharing your story with the Service Academy sorority.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for having the sorority. Victoria, you're amazing to talk to. Thank you so so much. Um,
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit the Service Academy sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.